We are very encouraged to hear what God is doing through City Life to change lives. If you have a story to share of how City Life has impacted you, please let us know at story at citylifefw.org. Welcome to the City Life Podcast. We are all about making Jesus known. We pray that these messages will help equip you to become a follower of Jesus who is empowered to influence and shape culture. Enjoy the message. My name is Preston Woody. I'm part of the leadership team here at City Life. We're going to get into God's Word, and, and, uh, and I believe that through the Scripture, you're going to be encouraged and uplifted and built up. And before we do, will you pray with me? Father, thank you for this space and this divine opportunity to gather together under the name that is above every other name, and that name is Jesus. There is weight and there is power in the name of Jesus. And God, I pray that it wouldn't just be my words, but it would be the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit speaking through me directly to the life, to the pain, and to the difficulty of people today. I'm believing in Jesus' name that people will leave here changed and encouraged because of a divine revelation of the person of Jesus. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, everyone said, amen. You can be seated in the house. Anybody ever grow up going or attending public swimming pools? Okay, a lot of poolers here. There were a lot more public swimming poolers in the earlier service, and I didn't spend a whole lot of time at public pools growing up. Uh, recently, I t- I asked, I've been asking friends of mine uh, if they would attend public swimming pools going up, and I recently asked a buddy of mine, I said, hey, so did you grow up going to public swimming pools? And he goes, ah, ah. I'm like, what's ah? He said, ah, you know that those are basically, uh, what do you say, pu- he said, public swimming pools, they're more like public potties. I'm like, what? That's kind of grotesque. And he said, yeah, so uh, essentially, w- like at our public pool, then we would see this like sign that was up there. They even had this sign at our public pool that said, if you have, if you have diarrhea, you're not allowed to swim. And, and so I'm, I'm, it's getting real in the late service. Uh, like, how is this tied to the word? We'll see. So diarrhea. So there we are. It's like diarrhea. I mean, what's, what's the deal with that? He goes, I don't know. He's like, you ever wonder like how they came up with that rule? Like what was the final straw for them to say, Johnny, put up a sign. Enough of that. And so, uh, so there we are talking about public swimming pools. And I want to r- reveal and talk to you about a moment that I attended a public swimming pool. And it was in St. Joseph, Missouri. My age was 12. My little brother, Devin, was age 8. And there we were on a hot, humid day attending a birthday party, a girl by the name of Megan. And there we were at Megan's party. Uh, The heat was intense, but I was excited about the party, mainly because I was debuting and I was wearing my brand new Navy Tommy Hilfiger swimming trunks. Anybody remember some Tommy Hilfiger? Anybody have some Tommies? Okay. I guess I'm kind of old. So 
That's a bad sign. And and so I, I was there rocking my Tommies and there with my little brother Devin. Devin kind of went off to do his own thing and the party got started. People began to arrive and and the sun was beating and it was hot. And, and, and there I saw Megan over there and I went was heading over in her direction over at the water site to tell her happy birthday. Just kind of let her know you were there. And and so I, so I go, I'm walking over there. But I want to preface with the fact that when I was 12 years old, I was extremely exceptionally skinny very very uh, thin young man okay and I uh, had to make sure that my Tommies were extra tight just in case and it's so skinny so much so that like when I when I would bend over even when I was standing up straight like my like my, my spine would show you could see the little spine lumps on my back anybody relate uh, you don't have to raise your hand and, like, <laughs> like four people oh god so <laughs> I'm walking up to Megan and and, and I say, hey, Megan, happy birthday. And she goes, oh, thank you. And then she goes, uh, uh. I'm like, what, what's uh? She goes, turn around. I was like, oh, see, see my Tommies? You know, like showing Navy Tommies, like showing them off. So excited. And she goes, she, she, and I'll never forget, she looked, she looked at me and said, ew. And she kind of turned to, to the left and to the right. You have a cat back. Okay, and, and I'll never forget, I, all of a sudden I felt this lump in my, my throat, my stomach sank, okay, and, and I had never felt so small and insecure in my life, and I remember just slowly kind of walking away, backpedaling, and, and heading over to the pool chairs and, and finding a place where no one else could see my cat back and be... Uh, be terrified of my awkward body and I'm there sitting against the pool chair for the remainder of the party for the next two hours while I wait for mom to pick me up because I didn't have a cell phone it was in those days un until I could leave and and I will tell you that I never I did not go to another pool party for the rest of that summer and that was my behavior I hid and I didn't expose myself to open another pool party again. Ultimately, my behavior was a byproduct of what I believed about myself. Okay? There I am, I'm young, I'm just a kid, but my belief was determining my behavior. And I want to ask you the question, what beliefs have been determining your behavior? Hmm. My perceived quality was less than, so I hid. I wonder what your perceived quality is. I wonder who here today may feel in some sense, maybe it's not your back, maybe you're, you're not a 12-year-old, but just because you're not 12, just because you're adult doesn't mean you don't have insecurities. Doesn't mean you understand the level of your quality. Ultimately, how you view yourself will be how you treat yourself. Now, I have a pair of Chuck Taylor Converse that I have been wearing for many years. And I keep them ultimately in my gym bag. And when they're not in my gym bag, they're in the car. And, and they're pretty beat up. They're pretty worn down. And I wear them for the gym. I wear them to do yard work when I do that rarely. And I don't really wear my Chuck Taylor Converse that have holes in them out because of the quality that I perceive that they are in. Same thing goes to you. You will treat yourself based on how you perceive your quality. 
you will find yourself not going places because of your perceived quality. I wonder who has held them back in life and even is in a job right now, and you're afraid that if you leave, you won't get something else because you perceive that that is the premium quality of your life. How you behave is a direct reflection of what you believe about your quality, about your self. Now, this is so important because of what's at stake. This is of premium importance, and here's why. How you believe determines your identity, okay? Who you are. Who you are determines your motives. Your motives determine your actions. Your actions determine the quality of your life. I wonder what the quality of your life is. And you've been so obsessed and so insistent on behavior modification when, in fact, you need some belief transformation. And it's so important. Here's why. Because it's so important that we get this, we understand this, that we get past the idea of living an Advil type of life, just trying to deal with the symptom instead of going to the root issue. Because a parent, if you don't understand your quality, your behavior is going to reflect it, and your children are going to see it. Understanding your quality is so much more important than just your own life. There's much more at stake. Young person, understanding your quality is of premium importance. If you, unless you want to live the type of life going from church to church, community to community, living your life from cause to cause, job to job, relationship to relationship, I wonder if you would look back at the end of your life and see a, lot, a whole lot of activity, but a, just a little bit of significance. How you behave is a direct reflection of what you believe. So what do we believe? How do we understand our quality? If you have your Bibles, go with me to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, and we're going to look at verse 13. And this is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. But before I get into that, I want to help you understand the context. Matthew was written by an individual by the name of Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector. He was a Jew. He was very literate. Matthew knew what he was talking about. He was smart. He was uh, probably a very linear type of personality. But I love this, the Scriptures um, written by Matthew, divinely inspired, because of, of his detail, uh, also his explanation of emotion. And uh, that's where we're going to go to today. And, and here we are in this setting where Jesus is at the height of his ministry. Not only anymore are hundreds skipping out on their lunch break to come and see Jesus preach and speak and do miracles. At this point in Jesus' ministry, Word is out throughout all of the surrounding cities. There is a buzz going on about this person named Jesus. And literal cities are being emptied out and shutting down. Businesses are shutting down to come hear this man preach. And, and oftentimes in these settings, there will be right before this four to five to 6,000 people listening to Jesus. And many of whom were just catching a glimpse. They couldn't even hear his voice project. The ministry of Jesus was so dynamic, so attractive, and also very heavy on Jesus and his boys. But we find Jesus in this setting in the region of Caesarea Philippi, and I, we don't really know what time of day it was. We don't really know what had just happened, but we do know that Jesus had just been doing a lot of preaching and miracles, and they kind of isolate themselves, Jesus and his disciples. And sir, they're in this space, they're in this moment where I imagine it's at dusk, 
and I imagine they had just finished a meal, and they were spending time laughing together, and Jesus, he asks a provoking question that alters the mood of the conversation, no matter what it is. And we find this question brought up in Matthew 16, verse 13. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Who do people say the Son of Man is? Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? It's interesting. Jesus then returns and fires back. Who do they say that I am? And they gave some statements. Uh, some say you're a prophet. Some say you're a good preacher. Some say you're Elijah reincarnate. It's, it's crazy stuff. But, but Jesus was much less interested in what people said than he was about what they said about who Jesus is. Which is to say, Jesus is much more concerned with who you believe he is than anybody else's opinion. But what about you? He asked, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And what Jesus says next is so profound. He, and this, he looks back at Peter and says, and I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Peter was the first, Simon Peter was the first to speak up and identify who Jesus was. Here's what's interesting about this passage, about this text. And I think the statement that sums it up. When Peter confess the identity of Jesus. Jesus revealed the identity of Peter. Simon said, you are Jesus. But after Jesus spoke, all of a sudden, he's Peter. Peter means rock. It's the word petros, which means a strong place, a sturdy place, a hard place. Peter means rock, but Simon in the Greek means a reed. Simon is reflective of his previous lives. Reeds grow where there's water. Simon lived near the water. He was a fisherman. Reeds are easily swayed by the wind. Simon was easily swayed by his emotions. Reeds are seasonal. Here one day, gone the next. Simon was the one who disappeared and denied Jesus when he needed him the most. In other words, Jesus is saying, no longer are you easily swayed. No longer are you Simon here one day, gone the next. But no, 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 that, that's who your family says you are. But who I say you are is you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. When Peter confessed who Jesus was, Jesus revealed who Peter was, which is to say, the more you know who Jesus is, the more you will know who you are. And there is something attractive about somebody who knows who they are. There's something, there is something invigorating about having crystal clarity on who you are and why you're on this earth. 
it doesn't matter what people say about you, think about you. You, you can walk with that confidence that's just attractive. The more you know who Jesus is, the more you will know who you are. And it's not to say that in this moment everything adjusted for Simon Peter. In fact, Simon Peter went through many trials. He went through many failures leading up to becoming the rock in which Jesus Christ built his church. But Simon Peter has one of the greatest resumes of all time. Simon Peter became the pioneer of the local church as Jesus was ascended into heaven. He was placed in charge of the greatest dream on planet earth that is strong, that is sturdy, that is alive today, the local church of Jesus Christ. And it wasn't built on a reed, it was built on a rock. Ultimately, the rock, the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to tell you a story. In in the 1950s, there was a young girl by the name of Marina Chapman. Marina was about four years old, and she lived in South America, in Colombia. And, sh- and I, her story is profound and almost difficult to believe. She was four years old in her backyard when one day she heard some rustling behind her, and she felt a hood come over her face. Little Marina then felt a white rag come over her mouth, and all of a sudden she smelled some sort of chemical which caused her to pass out. And she was kidnapped in that moment. And she was taken deep into the jungles of Colombia after being abused. She remembers being carried through the jungle, gaining consciousness, and being dropped off, blindfolded with her hands bound and tied. She recounts remembering being able to get out from her little binds and getting the blindfold off of her face and being all alone in the middle of the Colombian jungle. And she was scared. She was terrified. But she did the only thing that she knew to do. And what she writes in her book is, I just waited hoping that mama would turn up. So she decided to stay in one spot just in case mom showed up to come get her, to come save her. She was there for a few minutes, huddled by this tree. Minutes became hours, and hours turned into evening as night fell. And she recounts as the darker the night would get, the more terrifying the sounds of the night would be piercing in her ears. She remembers covering her ears because, of, because it got so loud. A little four-year-old girl in her frail body is now getting hungry. She lasts the night, and the next day wakes up, and she builds up a little bit more courage and decides to kind of walk around the area in which she was dropped off. And she does some exploring, tries to find something to eat, and the sounds have died down at this point during the day. And again, minutes become hours. Hours came into evening as it began to get dark again, realizing she was then going to have to last another night on her own, still waiting for Mama Not only this evening was she terrified like the evening before, but also in excruciating pain from her wounds and also her hunger that was beginning to emerge. She huddled up that night, and and morning came, and she woke up to some sounds. When she awoke, she slowly opened her eyes, 
and through her squinted little eyes, she saw some eyes looking back at her. And she realized that there were some monkeys coming in her direction. And she got nervous as they were moving toward her, and she looked the other direction. She turned her head just thinking that if I just look away, maybe they'll leave me alone. She opened her eyes the other direction, and there were monkeys coming on both sides. And so the monkeys came closer. She kind of built up some courage and opened her eyes and sat up. Then uh, some of the larger monkeys came up and and started to poke her and kind of push her and play with her, just kind of testing her out and to see if she was seeing if she was a threat. One monkey hit her face, and then the, another monkey came behind and hit the back of her head. and And she she remembers saying, "Stop it! Stop it! Leave me alone! Stop!" And she said, "The more that she yelled, the more the monkeys would laugh at her and provoke her." And all of a sudden, they stopped and began to. Uh, walk away. But what's interesting is the monkeys left her a little pile of fruits and nuts and berries. And so she went over and she recounts this as one of the greatest meals of her life as she was just ravenously hungry. And so so she eats the, the berries and the nuts and she decides to follow the monkeys. So she's walking after these monkeys, and she follows them day after day. And the monkeys are okay with her presence after a while. And in fact, they come and they begin to play with her, and she begins to see how the monkeys survive, and she sees how they will drink water from a banana leaf, and they see how she they gather nuts and berries from the trees, and she would uh, replicate it. It She began to live a monkey-see, monkey-do type of existence. And what started as just two days in the Colombian jungle turned into five years of living among these monkeys. And at this point in her life, she has lived more with a monkey tribe than she has with humankind, with her family. And she recounts as at this point, my previous life had almost faded into memory. In fact, she didn't remember the, the look of a human. She perceived herself as some sort of monkey. All that she could identify with was everything that was around her until one day. She was in a tree and looking down at the jungle floor, which she describes as being exceptionally beautiful and something that she loved to do, spying on the animals, and she saw something shiny among the leaves. And so she goes down and decides to investigate. And she leans over and she picks up what is a fragment of a mirror. And as she turns it toward her face, she sees a couple eyes glaring back at her. And she drops it and runs away, gets nervous, and then builds up a little bit more courage and goes and picks it back up again. And she gazes into this mirror and for the first time in her recollection in her life, she sees a reflection of herself. She is fascinated, almost a little bit nervous, wondering, do I look like that? I don't look like everything else around me. So who she was was different than what was 
around her. Once she got a correct perception of herself, something switched on the inside of her. Okay? You're getting where I'm going with this. Okay? What if God's not necessarily trying to change something about you right now, but rather your view of you? Because when you get a perception of who Jesus is, you will get a reflection of who you are. The more you know who Jesus is, the more you will know who you are. And you don't have to take your cues from the people around you. And Marina was uh, shortly thereafter picked up by a tribe and after a series of extraordinary events was, was brought back into society. And her life changed forever. But her identity as a monkey was altered when she saw a reflection of who she was. The more you know who Jesus is, the more you will know who you are. That's why we come to church. That's why we listen to preaching. Scripture says that faith comes by hearing of the word of God. I wonder how you're doing with hearing. If you're lacking identity and focus and you feel unstable, it's probably because that you need more of God's word inside of you. You need a clearer focus, a clearer reflection of who you are off of the person of Jesus. Because when you see Jesus, then you will get a revelation of yourself. And, uh, and I want to go into very briefly before I transition. I'm going to give you an application to this. But what do you imagine that Peter's body language was like when Jesus said, and you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church? I I wonder what he did physically, okay? We know what happened, but what did it look like? And I imagine it kind of like this. And Jesus says, Simon, blessed are you, and you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not stand against it. I remember, I imagine Peter being something like this. Yeah? Yeah, I am Peter. I am Rock. Just call me Rocky Bartholomew. You know what I'm saying? Who are you? What kind of name is that? I'm Peter. I imagine this huge smile just erupted on his face. Okay? And there's something interesting about someone who smiles because oftentimes the people who smile with authenticity, are people who have a clear reflection of who they are. They understand their quality, okay? Because a smile isn't just something that you can put on your, your face. It's something that you can give to someone else. And here's a point. Write this down if you're taking notes. It's time to reveal the infectious, infectious nature of your smile. Your smile. There he is, right there. Oh, you can put it as a subtitle. Make smiling your favorite. Your smile is an expression of your perceived quality. And here's the thing about smiling. Smiling doesn't necessarily mean in your life everything's okay. Amen. Smiling doesn't necessarily mean your life has been perfect. You know what I found? The people who have the most genuine, authentic, magnetic smiles aren't the people who have had it all together, but the people who have been through some stuff. Man, do not judge a person so lightly, so surface level. Oftentimes, the most beautiful smile has come through a whole lot of pain. Man, someone who's gone through a lot of pain today, it's time to reveal the infectious nature of your smile. It's time for some other people to see what God's done in your life. You know, there are 
I wrote down this, and I want you to write these down if you're taking notes. There, I put down five benefits of being a smiler. You ready? Here we go. Number one, smiling, number one, releases endorphins. So in other words, smiling actually makes you happier. Number two, smiling makes you more attractive. There's just something about being around someone who's got that genuine, I'm not talking about a phony moany smile. I'm talking about that natural smile, all organic, cruelty-free type of smile. That's, that smile that just lights the room up with warmth. Your smile makes you more attractive than you think you are. Three, your smile raises one's confidence. There's this confidence that comes from just smiling for about 60 seconds. Give it a try sometime. You're feeling down, you're feeling low about yourself. Why don't you just put a smile on your face and just say to yourself, God has been so good to me. When I say God has been so good to me, I can't help but let a smile erupt on my face. Everyone has a reason to smile. I have one because God's been good to me. Number Four, smiling also reduces your cortisol levels in your body. In other words, your smile actually helps undo anxiety and stress in your life. Number five, smiles also produce more smiles. Recently, I had someone come up to me last week and, and, uh, and uh, asked if he could get to know me and whatever. And we, we started hanging out. And the first time we hung out, he said, man, I just got to ask you now. Yeah, yeah, what's that? I just got to ask you, like, wh- why are you so happy all the time? I was like, wait, what do you mean? Why are you always so happy all the time? He's like, he's like, that's just what I mean. Like, why, why are you so happy? Like, I want to be happy like that. Like, what type of pre-workout you take, bro? Like, I was like, it's not about the pre- uh, You know, I could t- I'll tell you, but um, I'll p- you know what? I said, I said, you know what? I don't think you, like, really want to know. Like, yeah, you probably won't believe me if I told you. He said, yeah, Will. Like, I'll, yeah, I'll believe I was like, no, no, you probably wouldn't get it. And he goes, no, no, I'll get it. I'll understand. I'll try. Like, why why are you so happy all the time? And and I said, well, it's not that profound. It's not that amazing. But basically, God has just been so good to me. I can't help but put a smile on my face. I can't help but wake up every day to go infect the world with joy. It's not what I do. It's who I am. He said, "Dad, dang it, you're a Christian. Yeah. I'm a Christian. You want to come to church with me? No, I'm a Catholic. But I'll work out with you again. Okay. <laughs> Baby steps. Your smile has the ability to affect somebody else. Your smile is just a little picture of your perceived quality. I wonder who's in need of some smiling today. Look at two people and tell them, your smile is better than mine. Come on, say it. Your smile is better than mine. Will you stand with me? As I close, I want to give you one more point, one more take home. You don't have to write this down. Here it is. You are who you are because you have something to give. You are who you are because you have something to give. Simon was identified as Peter, not just to be Peter. Jesus says, and you are Peter, 
and what he says after this is so important to life. He says, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Peter received his identity, but also his purpose. Now, I want to ask you two questions, two of the most important questions that you will ever answer in your entire life. These are questions that will bring you alignment and clarity in moments of uncertainty, and here it is. Who are you, and what breaks your heart? Who are you, and what breaks your heart? And until you know the answer to these questions, you will consistently feel like a reed. Moving from the left to the right, being controlled by your emotion or by what, by what everybody else around you wants. But when you know who you are, you have strength, you have security. But when you know what breaks your heart, that's where your purpose comes from. And here's what breaks my heart. My, what breaks my heart is people in my city striving after achievement when on the inside, they're starving for significance. What breaks my heart is the people without a home right outside of this facility. What breaks my heart is little boys and girls who don't have a role model on how to live their life. What breaks my heart is that my city needs Jesus. That's what breaks my heart. And I'm gonna tell you who I am. My name is Preston Woody. And I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am strong and very courageous. And I am born for such a time as this. I am an entity of encouragement. I am a man of steely conviction. And I am a son of the most high God. So now let's look at who Jesus is. And he is, I am that because he is the lily of the valley. He is the lion of Judah. He is the rose of Sharon. He is my strength when I am weak. He is my purpose. He is my direction. He is my solid place. He is my strong tower. He is my purpose. And his name is Jesus. Would you, for a moment, close your eyes? And no moving at this time, just for concentration and privacy. Maybe you're here today and You've never surrendered your life completely to Jesus. And if you want to know this Jesus that I talk about, this Jesus that gives you divine direction, divine purpose, divine identity, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond and make Jesus the Lord of your life. We have never had a Sunday in our church this year where someone hasn't surrendered their life to Jesus. And this is what this church is about. We're all about you encountering Jesus and getting connected to his local church where you can find purpose and destiny. And someone, someone here today, everything is gonna change today. If you're here today and you say, Preston, I wanna know that Jesus you talk about. I want that divine purpose, identity. I want my eternity secure. I'm gonna give you an opportunity to respond. On the count of three, I'm gonna ask you to lift your hand. If you're gonna say, Preston, I wanna be included in that closing prayer and make Jesus the Lord of my life. Everything changes today. On the count of three, I'm going to give you that opportunity. Here we go. Today is the day for salvation. One, Jesus loves you so much. Two, he died so that you can have life, and everything changes today. Three, if that's you, put your hand straight up, put it right back down. I see you. Thank you. Who else? Thank you. Who else? Who else? Excellent. For those of you who lifted your hands along with the entire congregation of believers, let's pray these words together, speaking boldly with conviction and confidence. Say, dear Jesus, I declare that you are the Son of God. I believe that you died, and I believe that you rose again, and I believe that I need you. 
I admit that I am a sinner. But today, I choose to give up my past and embrace the future that you have for me. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. God bless you. City Life is able to continue making Jesus known through the consistent investments of many. And if you would like to invest financially into the vision, you can do so at citylifefw.org. Simply select the giving option that works best for you. Thank you for listening to this week's message from City Life Church. You can stay connected through Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And we look forward to seeing you on Sunday.